Hello and welcome to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. This is our first podcast of 2021, so a happy new year to you all. Last year, the government announced plans to develop a new research funding agency in the UK based on the American Advanced Research Project Agency, or ARPA. This is the first of two podcasts discussing the possibility of a UK version of ARPA. And to discuss that, I'm delighted to be joined by Phil Smith, chairman of IQE, and former chief executive and chair of Cisco UK. Phil, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Gavin. Good to see you and happy year to you too. And to you. So for those less familiar with what the government is planning here, what are the features of the American ARPA and why is there a proposal to have a UK version of it? Well, it's an interesting question. You know, the, the, the motivation behind this, of course, I'm sure is manifold. But I think what people are really trying to get the essence of is that ARPA clearly has some famous successes, you know, the Internet and GPS and so on. And wouldn't it be wonderful to invent a few more of those? But I think the characteristic that it's really trying to, to capitalize on is this sense of, you know, making significant and you know, world changing uh, changes in technology and capability, whilst also doing that under the auspices of some direction, if you will. So, you know, is this a direction that's going to build a sustainably growing economy for us, or is it going to help with the, the, the management of future pandemics or whatever? So those are big issues that one has to deal with, and hence, sometimes you need big solutions to those. And as we know, the original ARPA came around from the shock that the US has had when the Russians, you know, won the space race in the early stages. And so really that was a, a reaction that said, that can never happen again for us. And we want to, and I think the mission of ARPA was avoid or provide strategic surprise. That was essentially what they wanted to do. So you can see the attraction of that in today's environment where we could easily get bogged down with things. Wouldn't it be great to have things where we could do very big things in a very compelling way. America and the UK are a little bit different in their research cultures and so on. What would we need to make a UK version of this successful? Yeah, that's a very good point, Gavin. And I think the truth is we are different. We often talk about in business that, you know, that the, the sort of natural entrepreneurial tendency that the US would have we see those examples, you know, in business of people like Elon Musk doing, you know, taking on NASA. I mean, who, you know, who would have thought you could do that or taking on the car industry? So there's a sort of natural tendency for the U.S. in 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 general or U.S. business in general, and and U.S. research and technology often has a different perspective. So you're right; it's not something you can just say. There's our let's do exactly the same here in the U.K. Now you can also argue, and I'm sure we'll go on to talk further we've already got a UK ARPA, you know, we're actually doing research and innovation. We've got Innovate UK, which as you know, I chaired for seven years, which is doing challenge-based and significantly thematically based innovation work. But I think that we do have to recognize that both the natural capabilities we have in the UK, maybe the way we think about things, but also the um, the, the constraints, if you will, we put around things are quite different in the UK as well, maybe for good reasons in many cases, but also sometimes, you know, less so, and they maybe stifle innovation a little bit sometimes, whereas actually if we open things up, we could probably get a little bit more freedom sometimes. 
Well, let's tease some of this out because I suspect that when you're talking about constraints, you will begin to answer the question, which is why can't Innovate UK just do this? Yeah. So tell me what some of those constraints are and why a UK ARPA would be better than just using Innovate UK to do these things. Yeah, that's, that's the $64,000 question or probably $64 million question or more. So the, the real challenge we have is not the fact that we have an agency who can do challenges. Innovate have done some fantastic challenges over the year. And of course, under the auspices of UKRI, they are able to, to pull the various research and other things in there. You know, their work they've done in low carbon vehicles. I remember when I took over Innovate, you know, getting a um, piece of uh, testimony from the Nissan car plant up in the Northeast saying, we decided to put our, you know, research and development around the LEAF um, electric vehicle up here because you know, Innovate, or it, tech, it was called TSB at the time, because TSB had funded battery research and so on, and had put in companies and so on. So we, we can do this stuff. The difference really is that, if you think back to the comment I made earlier, that the, the broad mission of ARPA, or even DARPA when it eventually evolved, was to avoid or deliver strategic surprise. That's not the, obje that's not the objective of Innovate UK. Innovate UK is there to create economic growth. And that economic growth, maybe a result of doing the ARPA model. But as you might imagine, when you start to talk about economic growth, you immediately descend into you know, political discussions about, okay, we put X amount in, what are we getting out? What's the Y amount that we're getting out and so on? Whereas that's much less obvious when you talk to ARPA. And I know a number of the Innovate guys when I was there went to work with ARPA for some time and look at how they did things. I think that it would be very attractive in many ways to have the kind of, lack of constraint that the US ARPA model has, you know, that avoid or deliver strategic surprise. Whereas actually, I think that um, what the UK environment about is about typically delivering economic growth. That's the metric, the ultimate metric that Innovate UK is measured on. And, you know, so it should be. I mean, if you're going to put public money in, you want to deliver public value from it. The problem is that that can be overanalyzed. And, you know, one of the things the research communities have done a better job on with the Haldane principle and so on, which is that, you know, money is put into research and then essentially via peer review models, it's decided what the best areas to research are. Innovate UK, because it's predominantly for funding companies, has a lot of political intervention is probably the easiest way of putting it. And that political intervention and subsequent um, official, you know, scrutiny that goes on you know, it has its, I can understand why it comes around, but it can be extremely negative when you're trying to build an environment around innovation because continuous reviews, continually, as is often the metaphor of, you know, planting a seed and pulling up to look at the roots every couple of days and sticking it back in again, isn't the best way to generate growth. So I think the structure that it's set up in probably needs um, rethinking. In other words, Innovate UK maybe could be ARPA if some of the constraints were taken away from it. The flip side of that is, if you have something without constraints on, how do you then ensure that you have value for money, that horrible government phrase? How do you ensure that uh, you've got the right combination between sensible investment and waste? Yeah, yeah I, I, totally. I, that is entirely the question. And of course, I think what one has to recognize is that, 
you know, if you go, if you decided to put government money into innovation in the broadest sense, then, you know, like all pieces of innovation funding, whether you be a venture capitalist or a university or even a startup, is that as a part of it, and probably quite a significant part of it is going to fail, or at least not end up in the way you thought it was going to end up. That's quite countercultural for a publicly sector, public sector funded organization. And in fact, the history of Innovate UK, as you may remember, was it was a government, it was the TSB, the Technology Strategy Board, it was a government-funded advisory body inside government. It then sort of started to fund industries, but predominantly found itself funding just big industries, you know, the big aerospace automotive, and, and realized actually that wasn't the way to do it. under you know tight government uh, control was not the way to really drive innovation so it was floated out as an ex external uh, public funded body or a, a, an arm's length body and for a number of years was much more creative about the areas it involved and as a result we did a lot more in SMB we did a lot more in life sciences we did a lot more in so there is a balance but you know you're right Gavin you can't just say take all the fetters off just go and spend it on whatever you want but I think you do have to recognize that this is not a, you know, for every pound spent, you're definitely going to get X return. I think people have to recognize that some things will fail. And, you know, the government messaging, the ministerial messaging has to be in support of that, as opposed to every time something doesn't work, it's like, oh, what have you done? Let's shut it down, restart. You know, you can understand that mentality, but it's not a, it's not a productive mentality for true innovation. As well as the reluctance, I guess, within the funding system and, and, and the culture uh, amongst government. What do you think about the culture amongst the UK research community for being involved in projects that are potentially quite risky that might fail? How would that sit within the current way that a, that a, that a research career is, is formulated? Would, I guess what I'm saying is, would people jump up and down at the chance of taking forward genuinely risky projects if they knew that if they failed, that might reflect badly on them in the culture we have in the UK? Yeah, I, I think that's a fair question because, you know, you can set organisational structures up, but if people are ultimately, um, uh, you know, nervous about it themselves, I agree it could have, you know, different connotations. But, you know, I think it's also fair to say, you know, there is a lot of innovation. We know our startup community, our gazelles or, or unicorns or whatever you want to call them, that are the fastest growing companies. We have more in the UK than anywhere else. So it's not that we don't have a, a culture that wants to embrace growth and innovation. It's just that if you're trying to do it in some, as you described, the more tricky areas that involve heavy research and uh, potentially collaboration around research, then, you know, the culture has to be supportive of things which will potentially not go as far as you, as the, they want to as you want them to but you know that's sort of self-reinforcing you know if, if if for example um you know an ARPA style organization was given more flexibility and hence some of the research projects that were part of it didn't succeed or some of the innovation projects didn't succeed it may be that in that kind of bubble that it that in it will be seen as perfectly acceptable if it's in an environment where every time a project it doesn't go right you know, there's a sort of public vilification of the thing and the individuals involved in it, you know, that's what. So maybe the ARPA kind of bubble idea has attractions, you know, and it may be the kind of jolt that you need to make this change, which is why, although I can understand 
you know, there's a very valid argument to say, well, we've already got ARPA, you know, why don't you just put some con different constraints around it? Sometimes in government environments, you have to do them differently because too many people are tied into the process of how everything works today and unpicking that's harder than, than just doing it again. And I'm not saying we should do it again. I'm the last one who wants to do things again, but you can kind of see why that happens in government environments. Right? Sure. Well, all right, let's assume then that we found a mechanism of creating a UK ARPA that is separate from the structures that you said and free of some of those constraints. Somehow or other, someone is going to have to pick which projects to do. And I would say the UK government's not got the very best record in terms of picking winners. Um, but of course, this isn't necessarily about picking winners. It's about picking ideas. But who does it and, and how is it done? We know that in the, in the research world, the, the aspect that we've always focused on is excellence. You know, we, we'll pick the projects which are excellent. And that's true also in the innovate world as well. You know, the, the intention always is to pick excellence. So, so in, on the assumption that we have a kind of ARPA style capability, whether that embeds some of what's already there with Innovate or UKRI, which I think would be sensible, but even if it's, it's kind of perceived as a new bubble, if you will, that we're creating, then I think we still have to rely on the, you know, if it's a challenge-based environment where, you know, where we are really picking excellence. And that, as it happens today in the current environments, means that not every, even excellent projects don't always get funded because we have a cutoff of the, you know, the most excellent projects and then the others, um, you know, um, aren't able to be created. So I don't think there's a, a challenge in doing that. Obviously in the research world, that tends to happen through peer review and through peer uh, evaluation of things. Um, and when we were doing, for example, the Industrial Strategy Challenge Fund, that was all about, you know, big projects, big ideas, kind of ARPA style. And there was a large sort of process of saying, you know, can we get support for this? Are we getting endorsements and so on for those projects? And obviously, are the research projects robust within them? So I think there's a reasonably well-trodden path in there, both in, um, in the research side and in the innovation side, that, you know, that we want to try and focus on excellence. Because you're right, picking winners is something that governments have a bad track record of generally. I mean, that was sort of why, as I said earlier, that TSB came out of um, out of government because it was kind of easy for government to fund a big aerospace or automotive organization, much more difficult for government to get its head around why it should fund a small, exciting pharma company who's got a new treatment for whatever. Whereas if that's done on the excellence basis of evaluating, you know, peers and also looking at the market dynamics, then I think there's a better chance of doing that. So I wouldn't get too worried about that. I think our ability to pick it is we probably learn reasonably well. I think we just then have to have confidence that when we have picked it, we're going to stick with it, you know? So I'll put you on the spot. If it was you asked to pick it, what do you think would be the most productive areas for early projects for a UK ARPA? Well, you know, there are definitely um, areas which the UK already has significant leadership on. I think we have to recognise that, you know, just wanting to do something or putting what, to be honest, is, you know, I know it's 800 million patents, but in comparative terms to the Chinese, Americans and so on, it's, you know, peanuts, really. So we're not going to necessarily be able to just throw over industries that we, you know, previously didn't have any space in. So, you know, when you think again at the way we've done that, if you look at manufacturing, 
you know, we're not going to become the China, another China, but we may well be able to, to uh, be champions in high value manufacturing, which is, of course is why we went down that path in the catapults and so on. So I think there are areas where we do have some significant um, leadership already. You know, things like sustainable energy, we've got a lot of expertise in this from the work we've done in, in many, many areas. And I think things like sustainable energy are going to be so impactful for not only for the UK, but for, of course, as an export capability to many countries where that then allows you to solve problems like sustainable water supplies, sustainable food supplies, and so on, who are many of which are priced out because energy is too expensive. And obviously desalination, all these sorts of really big global challenges where if you could solve this sort of sustainable energy issue, you could potentially have something exciting. But I think the key to it, as I think you alluded to earlier, uh, Gavin, is that, is, is that it's not to do with, you know, just that one, or oh, let's do this as an energy thing. We know, for example, that we have a leadership in many aspects of AI, uh, artificial intelligence in the UK. And so using something like artificial intelligence to much greater optimize sustainable energy to work on, um, you know, some of the advantages we've had in, in offshore or, or renewable energy and so on. You can see how you could pull a set of advantages the UK have together and set a set of you know challenges which could be uh, up there. We also have leadership we know in areas like financial services and so on. I'm not suggesting that we fund financial services with, with ARPA, but that is an advantage we have in the UK on our ability to get financial transactions or maybe even backing and support and make big things happen very, very quickly. So, you know, currencies, cryptocurrencies, all those sorts of areas that again, you know, we have significant assets in the UK. So I think we should be building building on our assets and, you know, really trying to champion those in the early stages. Early on in your answer, you mentioned 800 million pounds, which is the amount that the government has set aside in the latest budget. What do you think about that sum of money? Is that a, a, the right starting amount? Um, would you see this growing? What, what, what's needed to make a real difference? It's a, it's a, a difficult question because, you know, is there ever a right amount of money? And it sort of depends on how big you go with it. Because again, you know, take DARPA. I mean, it's got like 3 billion a year or something around that, 2 or 3 billion a year. I mean, it's a huge budget. But of course, it doesn't do all monolithic projects. I mean, they're not all you know, billion dollar projects, you know, there are lots of much smaller projects which are building up to something which is, which is maybe a bigger challenge. So 800 million is a, you know, a reasonable start. I don't quite know what the time frame of that 800 million is. Every time you ever hear about these things and then it goes, yeah, that's over 10 years, you know, you go, all right, okay, well, that's not quite so good as, as, uh, as it was. So, so I think um, what you need is to have enough money in, in this to, to, to do some of the things that are very powerful, you know, challenge-based, prize-based, convening-based. One of the things I always thought was the best, one of the best attributes of Innovate UK money wasn't necessarily that it funded everything about the project, but what it did is it allowed people to bring collaborations together in a much greater way. And we know things like prize-based, you know, the X Prize and these sorts of things, where they put out a few million pounds a few million dollar prizes, even tens of millions of dollar prizes for people to put the first, you know, private space. Um, and, you know, of course, these things cost billions. But this, So your value for money is quite high there. You're not directly funding everything, but you're convening people around a challenge 
and putting the oil and uh, grease in the way to try and get people collaborating well um, looking at a specific area and so on. So, so I think the, the quantum is important because you need to have enough to make a big impact. And if you're going to look at things like sustainable energy and, and AI and so on, you need quite a lot of money just for the kind of infrastructure around it. But I do think you can leverage that money much more highly if people feel that they've got a, a, you know, a, a, a continuum of momentum behind it, which I think would be very helpful. One last question. Let's be really positive and assume all of this goes well. What do you think would be different? How would we look in five, six, seven years time if, if a UK ARPA really takes off? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I'd like to think that we would we would actually be talking in four or five years time about some of the, you know, the risky projects that we did. You know, this was a bit, and maybe even talking about some of the failures, Gavin. I know it sounds kind of counterculture, but, you know, we tried these five things. We had, you know, five big areas that we decided to focus on. And actually three of them or two of them are really powering ahead. And our UK is leading in this area where, you know, we're well ahead in, in it. But actually those other three ended up morphing into something more day to day and we've just kind of left them to go. It's not the sort of message that I think a, a minister or a politician would want to necessarily position. But I think if we did it early enough and kept talking about what it was we were trying to do, people would, would succeed. I've always been of a fan that, you know, when messaging about things is, is uh, delivered through government particularly, that it's got to continue about it. Don't just talk about it in isolation. We used to find that with the catapults when they're announced, you know, the government would say, oh, we've announced the catapult for X, kind of full stop. It's like, no, no, this is part of a bigger strategy where we're trying to put together a series of centres and, and we want to focus on these risky, you know, you can see how the narrative can quite easily be extended. And I think we need to continue with that. So in five years time, 10 years time, I'd love us to be talking about you know, the 10 things we tried to do or the five things we tried to do and how three of them are now leading industries in the UK, exporting, delivering real value to the country. But three of them, you know, we thought they were big areas, but they evolved because, you know, it wasn't quite so interesting as we got to or other leadership came from other countries or we decided to partner with someone. I think keeping that narrative strong would be really powerful. Well, let's see how the narrative develops and what happens over the next few years. Uh, that's all we've got time for. But uh, Phil Smith, thank you very much. Thank you, Dan. You've been listening to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. My guest this week was Phil Smith, chairman of IQE and former chief executive and chairman of Cisco UK. The UK government's proposal for a new ARPA-style funding body is also the subject of an online event being organised by the Foundation on the 27th of January. Details of that event and how to apply can be found on our website at www.foundation.org.uk. Also on the website, you can find details of all our events, blogs and all editions of this podcast. Next week will be another discussion about UK ARPA and my guest will be Rachel Collicutt, Chief Executive Officer of Dot Everyone.